we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We are in 2 Samuel chapter number 12 this morning, and we're continuing our study of the life of David. If you just arrived, if you just came in to be with us today, uh, someone said to me uh, last week that how does the pastor or someone ask another person, how does the pastor choose to preach these sermons? Well, I want you to know that the way we choose to do that is we take a book and we go through the book. And as we go through the book, we come to the next chapter and the next verse, and uh, we deal with what's in the Bible. God gave us the Bible, and my job, because I'm not talented enough, and even if I was, it wouldn't matter, I'm not talented enough and gifted enough to keep you entertained, and that's not my mission. My job is simply to preach the Bible. And so we're going through the life of David. We've been in 1 Samuel. We've been in 2 Samuel. Last Last week, we came to a a sad, sordid story when David committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had her husband murdered in an attempt to cover his sin. Well, now we come to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and about a year has passed since the events in chapter number 11. The Bible says in chapter 12 and verse 1, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had brought or which he had bought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his meat and drank of his cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man." Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives." In the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. 
Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. We note the phrase that we find in verse number 13, when David said, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan responded to David with these words, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. In all of the sobriety and somberness of the moment in David's life, when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, when Nathan, as I can imagine in my mind, raised his hand toward David with a finger extended pointing at him and interrupted him in his fit of rage and fury as he denounced the rich man who had taken the poor man's lamb. I, I, I can see Nathan as he points to him and he says, thou art the man. Well, immediately the room goes silent. David staggers backwards. The significance of the statement has hit him. He realizes that he has just condemned himself. David has just judged himself. This man will surely die, and he will restore the poor man fourfold. Well, he was the rich man. Uriah was the poor man. The little lamb was Bathsheba. The traveler representing the lust of David's heart. And David thought, I deserve to die. And Nathan said, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. There was a lot of bad news that came that day, but nothing compared to the good news. The Lord hath put away thy sin. That's the title of our message this morning. The Lord hath put away thy sin. What a wonderful thing to hear when that statement is made. Now in 2 Samuel chapter number 11, we see that the Bible concludes or that chapter concludes with this statement but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord you see David's sin grieved the heart of God in chapter number 11 we noted that there were three ways that David displeased the Lord first of all by the sin that he committed and secondly by the shame that he concealed or that he attempted to conceal and then finally, by the sorrow that he caused in the death of Uriah and the grief that Israel as a nation bore, the grief that Bathsheba experienced, eventually the grief that would come to his own heart when the baby that was born to he and Bathsheba would die. You see, the events recorded in chapter 12, as I said a moment ago, they happen about a year after the events in chapter number 11. And so from the outside looking in, it might appear that David has moved on from the events of chapter 11. Bathsheba has given birth to the son. She is his wife, Uriah. That problem, that whole situation is over. And it looked as if all was forgotten, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Inwardly, it was a different picture altogether, right? Go with me, if you would, to Psalm 32. We looked at this passage 
last week. I want to I want to reread verses three and four, and then I want to point something out. So keep your Bible open there, Psalm thirty-two, and verse number three. We have a picture of what was happening in David's life. This psalm was written later, as David reflected upon that time and those experiences. In Psalm thirty-two and verse number three. David tells us what was happening in his heart, in his life, during that period of time before he made things right with God. He said in verse 3, When I kept silence, before I acknowledged my sin, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. There was an internal storm in David's life. No rest, no peace. It was taking a toll on him. That's the impact of our sin. Verse 4, for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me, the weight of it. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. David, who once enjoyed before this wonderful, sweet fellowship and communion with the Lord, his relationship with God as a as a lush garden now described as a scorched, consumed place where no rain has fallen and the heat of the sun has dried it up. He's describing the effects of sin in his heart. And we have to remember this, that sin causes a breach in our fellowship with the Lord. It does not sever our relationship with the Lord, thanks be unto God. Because once we know him, once we believe on him, we belong to him. As many as received him, the Bible says in John 1.12, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. But once you have become a son, you're a part of the family. You're a part of the forever family of God. Nothing changes that status. Our relationship is secure, but our fellowship is dependent upon the way we approach our God and our communion with him. Well, we understand that David had displeased the Lord, so there was a breach in his fellowship. And I thought about this 11th chapter last week and just in my own heart and mind and and the sadness of it, the awfulness of it, the mess that it made, the questions that it provided for people and as the Lord said that David had given the enemies of God a great occasion to blaspheme but something didn't change the Lord loved David he was displeased with David but the Lord loved David aren't you grateful for the love of God you and I have made a lot of messes in our lives we've we've done a lot of things that we're so ashamed of But I'm glad that once we know Christ is Savior, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. The Lord loved David. He was a man after God's own heart. That means that David was in the heart of God. He loved him. But David also loved the Lord. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because David has sought to please the God, please the Lord. As we've studied this, these books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we've seen David honor the Lord time and time again. 
As we read the Psalms, we read the heart of David as he expresses his prayers and his praises to God. We know that David loves the Lord, but it is possible for a man who loves the Lord to sin against him and displease him. So we look at Psalm 32 again, but we look now at the opening verses. Verses 3 and 4 tell us what David was going through. Verses 1 and 2 and also in verse 5 reveal to us, of course, that this has happened or this psalm is written after the fact when David has been uh, forgiven and, and, and has been at least to a measure restored. And so we note that the psalm does not begin with a note of despair, but it begins with notes of joy. Joy for the grace of God. Look at verse 1 again, Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David has now experienced the forgiveness of God for this awful sin. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. In other words, it is not against him. It's not on his record and in whose spirit there is no guile. Verse 5, I have acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. You tried to hide it for a year. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou, would you look at that next word? What is it? Forgavest the iniquity of my sin. God forgave David. And David said, I'm blessed. How does a broken man become a blessed man? Because when we find David at the conclusion of chapter number 11, he is definitely a broken man. As Nathan comes to him and raises his finger and says, thou art the man. He's definitely a broken man. So how does a broken man become a blessed man? And let me remind you this morning that all of us are broken people. But I'm glad to know that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And this is evident in the life of David. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the sins of those recorded in the Word of God? Why? Because we all deal with these things. As I said to you last week, every man in this church has the same potential that David had. And we're all guilty of that sin. As, as I mentioned again last week, the Lord said, Whosoever looketh upon a woman with lust, he commits adultery with her in his heart. We're all sinners. We're all broken. But we can all experience the blessing of forgiveness. So in order for us to experience God's grace over our guilt, we're, we're going to see three things that are required and they, they unfold for us in the 12th chapter, and I hope you'll take note of them. First of all, we see that David's sin required confrontation. David had worked hard for a year to conceal his sin. But his sin is about to be exposed. And so let's see how it unfolds. First of all, we see here the servant. Look in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him. 
How would you like to have been in, in, in Nathan's shoes? You go to the king and tell him. He wasn't intimidated. He did what God told him to do. By the way, God has called us to, to speak for him. And if there's ever been a time when people, especially in public life, need to hear what God has to say, it's now. May God help us. He was faithful, this servant. This servant gives the story. That's the next thing we see here. The story. Now, the story has main characters. Look again in verse 1. There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. So the main characters, two men, a rich man, a poor man, we all have visions of what that means. The Bible says in verse 2, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. So this guy had a big farm and he had a lot of animals. Uh, anyone in, in that time frame and in that part of the world who had a lot of animals was considered a wealthy person. Our measurements today may be a little different, but this is the way it was noted. The poor man in verse number three had nothing. He didn't have any farm. He didn't have any possessions of significance. But what did he have? One little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up and grew it up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. The word daughter in Hebrew is bath. The name of the woman that David committed adultery with was Bathsheba. Bathsheba's husband said, I cannot go home tonight, king, and eat and drink and lay with my wife. And the story tells us that this man would eat and drink and lay with the lamb in his bosom. The poor man. But then a traveler came. And the traveler's presence in the rich man's home necessitated that the rich man feed the traveler and provide for his comfort. So how did he do that? Well, the Bible tells us. He spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd. Remember now, he had, he had plenty to take. But he didn't take what he already had, what God had already given to him. No, he didn't do that and serve that to the traveler. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Instead of taking his own, he took what belonged to the poor man and he gave that to the traveler. Well, as David heard the story, of course, the king, he's hearing the prophet of God speak of two men in his kingdom. And so we see the sentence given in verse 5. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David's listening to this story. He's the king. He's the man in charge. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 8 and verse number 15 that David reigned over all Israel and David executed judgment and justice unto all the people. So David was in the position to make these decisions. And his kingdom was characterized by judgment and justice, by righteousness and justice. And he finds out that there's a guy who's not a good guy, and he's done a really bad thing. And David is angry about it, and he's stirred up about it. And he says, I'll tell you what, 
that man is going to die. And he'll restore fourfold. Now, the restoration fourfold, that was in the law. But this story did not indicate that anything was worthy of death. But David, as he listened to it, was so stirred, he said, he's going to die because he had no pity. He thought, how could a man be that cold and that calloused? How could a man do something like that? And he took an oath according to the name of the Lord. And as I read that, I thought this, how, how hasty I am often to judge other people. Did you hear what they did? Oh, man. Can you believe it? We're all hasty to judge others, aren't we? Hasty to judge others, yet slow to judge ourselves. The sins of others seem obvious to us, and we're oblivious to our own. And Jesus warned us of that, did he not? Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine own eye, and behold, a beam is in thine eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. You see, David had a beam in his eye, didn't he? but he's ready to kill a man because he had a moat in his. Just a speck. But the truth is we're all in David. David's all in us. He's in all of us. We're quick to judge others and to condemn. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Let's, let's, uh, let's turn the tables of the courtroom. If we're going to put ourselves in the place of the judge, let's also put ourselves in the place of the accused. So the sentence is given. And unwittingly, David has pronounced judgment upon himself until Nathan raises his hand and interrupts David in his fit of rage and self-righteousness and says, thou art the man. And the courtroom falls silent. You can almost hear the gasps of the jurors. The case has taken an unexpected twist. The judge has been found guilty. There's a stillness, there's a silence, time stop. A sword penetrates the soul of David. His sin has been uncovered thou art the man well then we see there's a sermon to be preached and in that sermon Nathan spoke of the goodness of the Lord to David he reminded him how good God had been to him by the way God's been good to us he goes on to say In verse 7, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. 
All you had to do was ask. But instead you decided to take. You see, the problem with my lust and yours is that what we want is outside of what God has provided. It flows out of a heart of discontentment for what God has given us. And in that moment, Daniel, uh, David wasn't thinking about all that God had given him. He was thinking about the one thing that he wanted that he didn't have. Nathan spoke of the guilt of David. Look at verse 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? David, who had written in the Psalms, I delight, I delight in thy precepts. I delight in thy law. Now the Lord says, well, you've despised my commandments. In fact, you've despised me, he says. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Maybe David thought he got away with it. By the way, maybe we think we've gotten away with it. But what does this reveal? God saw it all. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He said, David, you're guilty of murder and adultery. David broke five of the Ten Commandments in one episode. He was guilty. Well, then Nathan spoke of the grief that David would encounter. Look, if you would, again in verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take the, uh, thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Now this confrontation is somewhat private, but the consequences will be public. David, you're going to have grief the rest of your days. And if you've read ahead and you know what happens, you know that everything that he mentions came to pass. David's sin required confrontation. David didn't want to deal with it. He tried to hide it. But God made it known. Because unless he made it known, he would never moved or never have been moved from brokenness to blessedness. Well, that leads us to a second thought, and that is that David's sin required confession. When David heard these words of Nathan, and it all came crashing down, the whole facade collapsed on him. David looked no doubt with tears flowing down his face, around the room, down at the floor, up into the heavens. And he said, I've sinned against the Lord. That's all he said. I've sinned. 
Finally, confession had come. We can all identify with David. You know why? Because we're all guilty sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, I'm not like that David. Oh, yes, you are. We're all like him. For all have sinned. Maybe we didn't do exactly what David did. Maybe in our hearts, if we had the opportunity to do it, we would. Maybe there are other things that David would have never considered that we would have done. But the truth of the matter is we're all guilty sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as such, we are all condemned, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, the just deserved uh, consequence of my sin is death, not just physical death, which is, in, which is what is intended there, but also beyond that, what is more uh, emphasized there is spiritual death. Spiritual death. An eternity apart from God in hell. I thought about this actress who drove into this house, apparently fueled by, from the news reports, drugs, and her life is over. But today, this morning, she is somewhere. I read a story about Olivia Newton-John who just died this week. And it really discouraged me to hear her comments about death and the afterlife. There was no mention of Christ, just a hope that there would be some form of energy. I don't know exactly what that means, neither did she. I hope before she died, she heard the gospel. Because if you reject Jesus, what is awaiting you on the other side of this life is an eternal death in hell. And we're all condemned. We're all like the rich man in the story, condemned to die. But in spite of that, I've got some good news for you. God loves you. And he sent his son to die in your place. That means so you wouldn't have to. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means he died in our place. He died in my stead. And he did so because he loved me. And he did so while I was in this dreadful condition as a sinner. If there was ever a time that David seemed unworthy of the love of God, it was in that moment. But while he was in that moment, God loved him, and Jesus died for him. And he died for you. He loves each of us. And salvation is available to all of us. For whosoever, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call means to look for aid, to call unto God and to look for help, to look for aid. Jim Cimbala, who's written several books about prayer, speaks of a, a, a woman in his church who knew the Lord, and, and there was a, a, a gentleman who uh, was a, 
He was a hairdresser. He was a, a makeup artist. He was a homosexual. And this lady would witness to him, and she told him, she said, just call on the name of Jesus. Just call on the name of Jesus. Every time she would leave him, or every time she would visit him, or, or, he, or he would, he would uh, do the makeup and all the things that he would do, she would say to him, call on Jesus. Well, that man found himself in a downward spiral of drug addiction and homosexual activity. And he was nearly dead. He somehow managed to get to a hospital. He collapsed at the threshold of the hospital. Some people got him in. They got him in the emergency room. They got some treatment for him, began to work. And he, he, his consciousness was restored. The effects of drugs and all that had happened in his life, in his body and in his mind as he was being treated. And all he could hear was the words of this woman saying, just call on Jesus. And without a theological background and a great knowledge of the scripture, what this man did in that moment of despair was he called on Jesus. And let me tell you that Jesus met him. And the man was gloriously saved and delivered delivered from his sin, delivered from his drugs. He would eventually meet and marry a woman in that church and then his body would later succumb to the disease that he'd acquired in the midst of his sin. But he went to heaven. He was a broken man who became a blessed man because he called on Jesus. And when you call on Jesus, let me tell you what you're doing. You're confessing him. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, that man, in order for him to call, had to have heard and he had to have believed and he called unto the Lord confessing that I can't do this on my own. I'm not good. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I believe that you're the only one who can save me. You're the Son of God. When you call on the Lord like that, he will save you. Amen. And he will forgive you. You see, confession follows confrontation. We have to be confronted. We have to hear the bad news before we can hear the good news. And what had David been running from for a year? confrontation but now it's here and it's the mercy of God that it came Romans 10 14 how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent do you know what happened God sent Nathan and Nathan preached and David heard and David believed, and David called. May God help us as his people to remember that we are sent into this world to preach the gospel to every creature. So David confessed that he sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Here's the king so worked up about what a man in his kingdom had done, and he realized 
that, wait a minute, I've offended my king who does reign in justice and judgment. And I've offended him. That's why he could pin in Psalm 53, or Psalm 51 rather, verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Now, wait a minute, David. I thought, I mean, you, you sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned with Bathsheba. You, you sinned against Joab involving him in your plot. You sinned against Uriah. You sinned against the nation. There's a lot of people you sinned against. Yes, that's true. But I want you to understand, David said, I have offended my king. And I'm pleading for his forgiveness. The thing that David had done Displease the Lord. So David's sin required confession. Well, here's the last thing. David's sin required covering. Remember now, David, for a year, what has he been trying to do? He's been trying to conceal the thing. He didn't want to deal with the consequences of it. And so Nathan says to him, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Well, that had to have been a great relief. You're not going to die. David knew that he was worthy of death, and although he was worthy of death, although he had committed a crime, although he had wrought great injustice and folly, although that he would give occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, God put away his sin. Remember, the Bible said, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So David received mercy. The word put away, it means, it means to, to cover. Like you would lay something over something. What did God cover David's sin with? The blood of Jesus. What did he lay over my sinful record? The righteousness of Jesus, the blood of Christ applied to me, an unworthy, hell-deserving sinner. And he says to me, I've put your sin away. You can't remind him of it. You can't say, Lord, do you remember that time when I did this? It never happened. Because what he sees is my record in Christ. And that record is the record of Christ's righteousness. David's sin required covering. He tried to do it himself, but he didn't. Succeed. The only one who could cover his sin was Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Was it just to let David off the hook? No, God's going to deal with David. But let me tell you who made the payment for David's sin, the Son of God. Who made the payment for your sin and mine? The Son of God. And therefore, only the Son of God could, could fulfill the just demands of of a holy God. Only the Son of God could bear our sins and satisfy the wrath of God against iniquity. And through his blood, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 
In Romans, the Apostle Paul goes to great pains to show us all that we're sinners and to teach us that the only way that we can be justified is through faith in Christ. And in Romans 5, he gives us a conclusion concerning what it means to be justified. In Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know, David didn't have any peace all those nights. He languished in the bed with the hand of God heavy on him. There was no peace, nothing but guilt, nothing but regret. He could see the Ammonite soldiers casting their, 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 drawing back their bow and shooting their arrows down on Uriah. All of that he lived with every day. But finally, he had peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We have a new position. We're no longer condemned. Our sin is covered, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Thanks be unto God, he put it away. So David received grace and covering for his sin. And although he did, the consequences remained. The child would die. We don't have time to look at that this morning. That certainly leads us into many questions. But I want to ask you a question this morning. How is it with you? Has your sin been put away? Are you trying to conceal it? Why don't you allow the Spirit of God to work in your life? And confess it to him. I got good news for you. He'll forgive you. And he'll cleanse you. He'll make it right. So come to Jesus. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.